the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. But when Paul met Jesus on the Damascus Road, a change happened in his life. And his heart was melted because he saw a forgiving Lord who knocked him off his horse. Welcome to Reaching Your Heart. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, you can call at any time, 24-7, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Someone is standing by right now to take your phone call. Here now is our pastor teacher, Michael Oxentenko, with the conclusion to The Gospel of God. Today's Reaching Your Heart. The Greek word for set apart is aphorizo, and it shares the same consonants in Greek as the Hebrew word for pharisee. Aphoriz, pharisee. Aphorizo in Greek, pharisee in Hebrew. And the word in Hebrew comes from the verb pharos. You can hear the word pharisee in that. Paul is saying that I am a pharisee for the gospel of God. Now this word pharos means to set apart. A pharisee was one who was set apart for holiness, for the law. One who's set apart to keep the law perfectly. And Paul is saying, look, I started out as a Pharisee, but I am now a Pharisee for the gospel of God, set apart for Jesus Christ and proclaiming the gospel of God. The Pharisees were known as religious teachers who were set apart for perfection and set apart for holiness. Now, holiness and perfection are important, but not the way they wanted them. And Paul used to be that kind of a Pharisee that talked a lot about himself, about how good he was getting, about how right he was, and about how perfect he was. And as he boasted in his holiness, as a Jew among Jews, a Pharisee. But when his name was changed from Saul to Paul, when he saw the light on the Damascus road, that little small man, Paul, was set apart for God. Set apart for Jesus and you, know, you can't be set apart for the glory of God and worry about yourself too much. It has to be about the Lord. Paul never relinquished his claim to be a Pharisee. Some people say, well, he quit being a Pharisee. No, he did not. Paul is very clear. He kept on being a Pharisee. So what kind of Pharisee? Take your Bibles and turn with me to Acts 23.6. Now, Paul was on trial before the high priest, and he began to defend himself. And notice what he says. But when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Brethren, I'm a Pharisee. He didn't say I was a Pharisee. He says I am a Pharisee. A son of Pharisees with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead, I am on trial. So it's very clear here. He said, I am a Pharisee. But what kind of Pharisee is here implied? Look at Romans 1.1. Paul proclaimed that he is a Pharisee or set apart for the gospel of God. Now, the Pharisees didn't like the gospel. In Acts 26.5 and 6, Paul explains it a little clearer for us to understand what it means to be a Pharisee for the gospel of God and the hope of the resurrection. Verse 4 of Acts 26. My manner of life 
from my youth spent from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem is known by all the Jews. And then he says in verse 5, they have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a what? Notice the word strict. Have you ever been strict? No. Nobody here ever been strict with someone else? Well, I have been. How do you like it when people are strict with you? How many of you like it? Raise your hand. Okay. Now just think what it's like when you're strict with somebody else. The Pharisees were strict. Was Jesus that way? Now Jesus had standards, did he not? Did Jesus speak of the law of God, of keeping it? Absolutely. Did Christ talk about the importance of obeying God, loving God and fellow man, obeying all the Ten Commandments? Did he not? But you see, somehow being strict with people is not the same thing as being obedient to God from the heart. And so he was a Pharisee, strict in his religion. But when Paul met Jesus on the Damascus Road, a change happened in his life. And his heart was melted because he saw a forgiving Lord who knocked him off his horse. When he said, who are you, Lord? Verse 6, and here's what he says. And now I stand here on trial for hope in the promise made to God, but to our fathers. In other words, I have moved from being a strict Pharisee to one who proclaims the hope of God that was proclaimed by the Old Testament prophets. You see, whatever proud status Paul had as a Pharisee, he gave it all up to become a mailman for Jesus and a slave for Jesus Christ and a different kind of Pharisee set apart for the gospel of God. When Paul met Jesus as his personal Savior, his Pharisee kind of strict status meant nothing anymore to him. Mercy, kindness, the grace of God that came into his life is what he gave to others. And guess what? He became obedient from the heart, which is the real kind of obedience. Philippians 3, 4. He says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If another man thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. He says, look, if you want to talk about really being good at being strict, really being good at being religious, I could go back to what I was like, and I could talk about that a lot to you. He said, verse 5, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin. As I said, he was named Saul after the first king of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law. And then he uses the word blameless. Now, friend, if you want to be a strict Christian, blameless, by doing all the right things, like Paul, then there you are. He was that. He could have argued that way. But when Paul found Jesus as Lord, the focus of his life moved away from what he looked like to who Jesus is. Verse 7. But whatever gain I had, he treats all that as the past. I counted as loss. The loss for what? What does the text say? I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of, and here's the great reason, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. You know, Jesus said, this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ and that is sent. No matter what you're doing in church, no matter what it's about for you, friend, the most worthwhile thing in your life can be to know Jesus Christ as Lord. 
He says, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things. He says, well, you know, I'm not doing this so I can look important in the church. I'm not doing this so I can feel religious. I'm not doing this so I can get holier. He's not doing it for Christ's sake. For his sake, I don't care what I have to do. He's worth it. And I count them all as refuse or rubbish. And the Greek word is even more profoundly dirty. In order that I may gain Christ, be found in him. And then he talks about what he doesn't need anymore. Not having a righteousness of my own. That's the Pharisees kind of righteousness. Based on law. Now the law is still here. The law doesn't get done away with at the cross. But friend, if you're basing your righteousness and your standing with God on how good you are at keeping the law, you're right where Paul used to be before he became a Christian. Not having a righteousness of my own based on law. But, here it is, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God, that's why it's the gospel of God, that depends on faith. And what does it result in? Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that if possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. People who know Jesus get out of the ground in resurrection morning. Pharisees were known for looking like they were perfect. And this is why Paul had to say about all this perfection business that all that mattered now was knowing Jesus. And Christ will take care of the perfection part. Verse 12, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. In other words, I'm not trying to not be holy. He says, I am pressing on. I am pressing on for perfection. But why? He says, because Jesus Christ has already made me his own. I don't do it to prove something to God. I don't do it to become accepted with God. I don't do it so God will love me. I do it because he does. And he has accepted me because of the cross of Christ. So to know Christ is the great theme of Paul's preaching. So Paul, the little small man whose name means small, as I said, in the Greek, presents his huge credentials to the church of Rome in Christ. First, he says, I'm a slave for Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Secondly, he says, I'm called to be a mailman, an apostle. I deliver a message. And thirdly, I am a Pharisee, set apart as a Pharisee for the gospel of God, not the old stuff. Not the kind of Pharisee you're used to, but the kind of Pharisee you need to hear from right now. That's how he introduces the book of Romans. Let's go back to Romans 1, verse 1, and read down to verse 4. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart, a Pharisee, for the gospel of God, which he, that's God, promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The gospel concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and designated Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Friend, there's so much Paul says here. The gospel that he preaches is not a bag of philosophical hot air. It's not something he came up with to look smart or to be creative in the minds of others. It's not something he got from a peddler of ideas so he could make money and get ahead in life. The gospel of God was promised beforehand in the Holy Scriptures. And Paul was a mailman with a letter to deliver that gospel. Now we live in a day today where so many people are ashamed of their Bible. And my Bible is right there. How many of you have one of these in your hand? Do you have a Bible? You know, people don't like following it these days. Am I right? Am I? You say the Bible says, no, well, no, no, science says. Am I right? I was talking to the guy who was putting our lights up. Very nice man. I want you to pray for him. 
And we were talking about the history of the world. And I was talking about Bible chronology. And he says, well, we now know from archaeology that ain't so. And I didn't want to argue with him because that's just part of our culture, isn't it? We know more than the Bible. Friend, we know very little. The Bible is God's truth to us. You are listening to Reaching Your Heart. More with Pastor Michael Tanko in just a moment. A reminder, we are a listener-funded ministry. We do appreciate your support. If you can help us out with a financial contribution, here's the phone number, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. You can also find us on the web at reachingyourheart.com. Here he is, Pastor Mike, once again. God gave us this Bible to give us the gospel of God. The prophecies point to who Jesus is. Christ is the substance of the gospel of God, according to Paul. You know, I'm getting older, and time is running out for us all who are getting a little older. Isn't that true? Come on. Got a little gray hair here. Now, my wife's giving me copper supplements. You know why she gives you copper supplements? Because copper goes in and changes the pigment back to your natural pigment. Gray hair early is a sign of copper deficiency. Just talk to Diana if you want to reverse your gray hair syndrome, okay? All right, she's on it. She says, Mike, your hair is getting darker. Now, does it look darker to you? No. Okay. Sorry, honey. Okay, look. But the older I get, the more I know the truth. I need Jesus. You know, I've read extensively in my life, but as life comes closer to the time when I can't read, I want as much of my Bible as I can get. I spend my spare time studying the Bible. I wake up studying the Bible. I carry it with me through the day. I want the Bible. Why? Not because the Bible is the end in and of itself. I want the Bible because it points me to Jesus Christ and the gospel of God that was predicted by the holy prophets that was prophesied in the Old Testament that was fulfilled in the revelation of the New Testament. And I don't get it without my Bible. These smart theologian types who come our way and tell us that we can't trust our Bible or inspiration isn't something we can plant our feet on, they're going straight to the lake of fire at the end of the millennium because God's Word must be trembled at because God has set aside the Bible as His way of reaching the world. It must be preached, taught, proclaimed, and lived as Christians. We need the Bible. It's the Word of God. And the Bible proclaims the promise that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, my Savior and your Savior. It is the Gospel concerning God's Son that the Old Testament prophets predicted. You can't be a Pharisee for yourself and be saved by Jesus at the same time. You have to be a Pharisee set apart for the gospel of God to really be holy because Jesus is the one who saves. He is holy. And so Paul provides Jesus' credentials for everyone who needs to be saved from being a Pharisee in the wrong kind of way. Who is Jesus? This is the profound question of our lives. First, Paul says that Jesus was descended from David according to the flesh. That means he's human. That means, you know, he knows what it's like to struggle. He knows what it's like to get hungry. He can get weary. Yes, he could fall asleep in a boat. He was the son of David, of royal descent, and yet he was not king in his day. These are his fleshly credentials. You know, the flesh can't resurrect the flesh at the end of the age. So no matter how important his Jewish fleshly credentials are, it will not save us at the end of the age. So Paul describes Jesus in verse 4 with better credentials than these. 
He says, And Jesus was designated Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul here proclaims that Jesus is more than a king. Jesus is more than the rightful ruler of the throne of David. Jesus is more than a human being, the best human being who's ever lived. He's more than that. Christ is the Son of God. Not a weak child of Adam. He is the Son of God in power. Now, many people today want Jesus Christ to be a sentimental friend and nothing more. Am I right? A sentimental friend and nothing more? Friend, Jesus is a friend, but He is the Son of God in power. Which means He has the right to have full authority in your life. He can overcome sin. He can overcome condemnation. He can forgive because He has authority on earth to forgive sins. There is no evil you struggle with that Jesus does not have the power to defeat that evil in your life. There is no oppressor who comes after you to depress you in life that is so strong that Jesus cannot defeat them in your life. The book of Hebrews proclaims that God placed everything in subjection to Jesus Christ because of the cross and the resurrection of Christ. Friend, Jesus said at the end of the book of Matthew that all authority or power in heaven and earth has been given to him. He is not powerful. He is all-powerful. The Greek word is pentakrator, almighty. It's a term used only for God in the Old Testament. Penta means all. Krator means the one who holds. Christ is the one who holds all things. The Bible says he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Christ is the Son of God in power, which means there is no weakness in your life, no struggle you face, that the power, the almighty power of God in the Son of God cannot be addressed to your need and problem. We need the Son of God. Why? Because Jesus is the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness. Now that's what the Pharisees wanted. Holiness. Paul says, I'll show you holiness according to the spirit of holiness from his resurrection from the dead. He has been set apart as the Son of God in power by the resurrection from the dead. Friend, God gave Jesus all power so that you can be saved. He has given Jesus all power so God can resurrect you at the end of the age, so that God can resurrect your fallen life in time itself. People who live in fear of the grave can live in the hope of the resurrection from the dead because of the gospel of God. Paul here proclaims that Jesus is our Lord. Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's personal. Not yours or mine, but our common Lord. Christ brings us all together because Jesus is Lord of us all. You know, we all have the same problems. Last time I checked, you're a bad sinner. You are. You're a bad sinner. Preacher is too. But we're also called to be saints, aren't we? Doesn't the Bible teach this? Saints are people who have been set apart for God. Which means we're not to live in the old way of life. We're to live for Christ in newness of life. In the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, we can't do that by just trying hard. That can only happen if the Holy Spirit power of God through the cross of Christ is changing us from one degree of glory to another. And so to live for Christ is not to live in the same way that the Pharisees lived in relationship to the law. And when we come to know Jesus, we come to love each other. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved by the Lord in Mount Zion. Together, when we call upon the name of the Lord, we are saved in the church as a family of faith. 
Christ is our Lord, and we find that we are at home with Him as our Lord, as a family among His people, the church. Paul starts his letter in this warm kind of way by drawing attention to this very warm truth. Romans 1, 5-7, through whom, Jesus, we have received grace. It doesn't say we're going to get it. We have received it. And apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the nations, including yourselves who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all God's beloved in Rome who are called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to be saved. Do you want to be saved? I want to be saved. I want to be holy. You want to be holy? Okay. I want to be obedient to the law of God from the heart, not like a hypocrite for the right reasons. Are you there with me? So how do we get these things straightened out in our lives? Paul says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. More than any other letter in all his letters to all the churches that he wrote to, Paul uses the name God more than any of the other letters because it's not just the gospel. It's the gospel of God the book of Romans is talking about. Up to this point, Paul has here defined Jesus Christ as our Lord. And now he calls upon God as our Father. In the gospel of God, Jesus is our Lord and God is our Father. The exact linguistic center of the book of Romans is found in Romans 8.15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of sonship when we cry, Abba, Father. The exact linguistic, chiastic center of the book of Romans is right there. Abba, Father. Abba, Father. On each side is the gospel of God. In the middle is not some theology In the middle of the book is the truth of Abba, Father. The words that Jesus cried out in the Garden of Gethsemane when He was dying for the sins of the world. Abba, Father. Daddy, Father. The exact center of the book of Romans. And what kind of father is this great God of the universe? Paul is the mailman for God, writes in his epistle to the Romans, grace and peace from God our Father. Abba, Father. Daddy, Father. Grace means kindness and favor, richly bestowed upon the needy kind of people who desperately need kindness in their life. And peace means God is not at war with us in Jesus because God has made peace with us through the cross. In Ephesians 6.15, Paul calls the apostolic gospel the good news of peace because God is not at war with us in Jesus. Maybe you feel like God is at war with you. Maybe you feel like God's trying to keep you out of heaven. Maybe you feel like your sins are so big. There's no way God will forgive you. Dear heart, that's not true. The gospel of peace, the gospel of God, teaches us to the contrary. The gospel of peace is the gospel of God that is the good news that God loves you. And the proof is Jesus. And Christ is the ultimate and final proof that God has made peace with you at the cross. You know, when we come to the cross... And we stoop down and we kneel at that cross because that's what humble hearts have to do. Our proud eyes are open to see the light, just like Paul did on the Damascus Road. And our ears hear Jesus at the cross proclaiming the truth that is foreign to theologians' fodder that they give people to chew on. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And we discover right there, there at the cross, 
that God is our Father and that God our Father forgives us because of His Son and because He Himself is gracious and kind. And is there at the cross we find a suffering God. A suffering God losing the Son of God to save His other children. And is there we find that the gospel of God is the gospel of peace where justice and mercy kiss. The gospel of God full of grace. And we bend the knee and we cry out to God, Abba, Father. Abba, Father, the gospel of God. Heavenly Father, we need the gospel of God. Praise God for the kindness, the grace, and the peace that comes through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank you for a heart of love that gave us Jesus, your heart. Lord, may you bless your people. May those here who are wondering if they should believe, may they cast their lot with God in Christ. May they never look back. May they give up on the old ways of being a Pharisee for self and choose to be set apart a Pharisee for Jesus and God. To the holiness of God. And Lord, may you give us in our lives the obedient life that's not based on trying hard, the obedient life that's based on worshiping the one who died for us and loving him. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening today to Reaching Your Heart with Pastor Michael Oxentenko. We are a listener-supported ministry and would love for you to partner with us as we continue to present Christ-centered biblical truths of Scripture in practical and relevant ways. Call us right now at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Visit the website reachingyourheart.com to find out more about this ministry, Reaching Your Heart, and Pastor Michael Oxentenko. That's Reaching Your yourheart.com. 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. You can donate right there on the website, reachingyourheart.com. 888-244-HOPE. Thanks for listening. And as always, we do pray that God is reaching your heart. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.